0: I know we, uh, we took a uh, week off from Revelation last week as Brother Bill taught, and I want to uh, thank him for that. Um, and uh, we'll do prayer requests and updates at the end of service tonight, and I plan on being done quick tonight so we can take a little more time uh, for that, but I do want to just recap, uh, because when we get to chapter 15, we are making our way through Revelation very quickly or very slowly, depending on how you view it. Um, But I just want to kind of give you an overview very quickly of where we're at, what we're going through. The book of Revelation, the first three chapters are written to the local churches of that day, and we know that he writes to each one of them about different strengths and weaknesses, but yet also those churches represent the different kind of churches that will exist even in our day and age. And so you can study about that and see very much of the characteristics of different churches. But something miraculous happens at the beginning of chapter 4. John is told to come up here. And I believe that is when the rapture of the church happens. That is when all of the believers throughout all of the world... Uh, as First Thessalonians chapter four, or as we looked two weeks ago, all of First Thessalonians says it, and almost all of Second Thessalonians. If you were here for that teaching, if you weren't, you're out of luck. It was the best you've ever heard, and and that's not true. That's just a joke. But um, but First and Second Thessalonians, the whole book is about this: the fact that the Lord is going to keep us, the church, from this seven-year period of judgment. And when the rapture of the church happens, something miraculous in God's timeline happens. He begins to focus back in on the Jewish people. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. Throughout the Old Testament, the promises God made to them, the covenants that God made to them, Romans chapter 10 and 11 talks to us, if you want to write that down and look at it on your own time, about how the Jews had to reject Jesus so that Gentiles could be brought in. And all chapter 10 is about what a privilege it is for us who are not Jews ethnically have been brought into the family of God. But then chapter 11 has to remind the Gentile Christians, hey, don't be hating the Jewish people. Because let's be honest, the pendulum usually swings one way or the other too far, right? We can love someone almost unhealthily, Or we can hate them. And so he says, but don't think God has abandoned the Jew forever. There is coming a day in the future when God is going to turn his focus back to the nation of Israel, back to the Jewish people, and they are going to accept Jesus as their Messiah. But that's going to happen in this seven-year period of the tribulation. And so chapters 4 through chapter 11 takes us through... Almost this entire seven year period. It talks about the judgment of God. It talks about the correction of God. And we need to know that because we're living in a day and age when people genuinely don't believe that God punishes sin. There is no punishment for sin, there is no consequence for sin. But yet the Bible tells us there is. And so the 7 year period of the of the book of Revelation the great tribulation is found in Daniel chapter 9. And if you don't understand Daniel chapter 9, you're going to miss what God is trying to do. Because in order for God to reach the Jewish people, he has to humble them. And you say, "Jake, that's not fair." But friends, that's how all of us come to Jesus through humility. When we realize that we cannot save ourselves, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And so in Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27, uh, it talks about God's people. It talks about uh, this everlasting righteousness, the seal. And it's very important because that is directed to the Jewish people that God is going to deal with them. Because there is only one way to be saved, no matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew. It is to come through Jesus. You can't get to heaven because you're an Old Testament Jew. You can't get to heaven because you're a good person. You must be born again. And so at the end of this tribulation period, we're going to see the plagues and we're going to see the judgments and all of this stuff. But what we find out through the book of Revelation and the tribulation period is that the Jewish people have an enemy. And that enemy is Satan. Satan. And he has always tried to destroy the Jewish people. And Satan has the Antichrist, who is this worldwide leader that turns the world, the Gentile people, against God and the Jews. And he has the false prophet, who he raises up to do miracles and to do false wonders so that people will believe that the Antichrist, he is the one that they should be worshiping. And we know that. And so if you study all of that, you'll find yourself in those first 11 chapters watching how this unfolds. But if you remember or if you haven't been with us in chapter 12, 13, and 14, God stops because we've seen a lot of death. We've seen a lot of destruction. We've seen a lot of heartache. And he says, but I want to explain to you why this happens. Alright, it's not the fact that God just hates people, that God is cruel. Then He takes us through the history of the fall of Satan and how Satan has always wanted to be like God. And because God loves the Jewish people, Satan hates them. And then in chapter 14, though, if you remember or you, you or you were with us, we looked about how God reminds us that He wins. That we do not have to worry even those people who are saved during the tribulation period, who suffer for their faith, who die for their faith, that God says, I am going to bring them to heaven with me. And so when we come to chapter 15, we're getting ready to get an overview of what happens. I believe the bold judgments happen in just a matter of days, if not hours. God begins to pour out This last bit of judgment at the end of this seven year period. And so when we get to chapter 16, it is a chapter all about the judgment of God on the world. But chapter 15 is almost like God saying, I want to introduce you to this so you have some time to process it. Because traumatic events, as you know, as we've even seen here, shock us. And there will be no more traumatic event in all of the world's history than when God is pouring out His judgment on lost people. But I want you to read with me a verse from Ezekiel tonight. Because so many times we look at the judgment of God as cold and and cruel and how is that fair that God punishes sin? But listen to what God said in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, starting in verse 7. So, you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. He is telling the prophet that if you do not tell these people that their sin is going to destroy them, they're still going to be punished for their sin. You can't get out of that. But it's also going to be accounted to you. And you say, Jake, that's an Old Testament principle. We don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. You are mistaken. In the book of Romans, if you want to flip there, because I gave this to you last week and I don't have my notes in front of me. In Romans chapter 1, if you remember in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Right? So sin is going to be punished if it's not covered by the blood of Jesus. But then what does it go on to say? Not only ungodliness, and unrighteous of men who suppress the truth. And so friends, when a church looks at a group of people and says you can live however you want, God does not care, they have brought the judgment of God on themselves. When a preacher will not stand before a congregation and preach this is what God said about any sin, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the, the big ones with the, we would call homosexuality or gender or lying or pride or whatever it is. In Ezekiel and in Romans, it says the person who does not warn is guilty just like the person who is committing the sin. Alright? That's what it says here in Ezekiel and in Romans. I don't want you to think that it doesn't matter. And so as a Christian... You have been commanded to go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. And that means warning people that they are sinners. The judgment of God is on them. But what? Jesus loved them. Died for them. Was buried for them. And He rose again. And so if we are not doing the Great Commission, it's not just the fact that we're being disobedient. And don't miss this tonight because it's very serious. We are not telling them the warning that is to come. And what Ezekiel says and Romans says is we are bringing their judgment on us. When a church is not involved in taking the gospel to people, it is not just being disobedient to God. It is bringing the judgment of God on ourselves. Alright, that's a serious business. But look what it goes on and says in verse 9. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked... To turn from his way. And he does not turn from his way. He shall die in his iniquity. So there is no way to find forgiveness and eternal life unless you repent. Alright? Turn from your wickedness and turn to Christ. But you have delivered your soul. That doesn't mean you've been saved because you share the gospel. Or because you preach the truth. But all saved people will do what? Preach the gospel. All saved people are willing to tell the things of God. Therefore, you, in verse 10, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, If our transgressions and our sin lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, As I live. Now this is an important statement. What God is saying is, just as I am, the fact that I have always existed, that I will exist, and that I am existing, right? The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is saying, based on the fact that I am God, this is true. Alright? It's the highest form of reassurance you can get. Like when you go to the bank and it says uh, up to $250,000 is backed by the... Right, you all know that. you got a lot more money in the bank than I do. I don't worry about that, right? I'm way far away from that. It's a guarantee. What God is saying, what I am getting ready to tell you, is true, just as true as I am God. It cannot change. It cannot be wrong. It cannot be altered. As I live, says the Lord God. Now this is really important. Because what God just said is, what I'm getting ready to tell you is as true as the fact is I am God. All right. The universe exists because he's God. Right. All things are held together because he's God. Right. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. They don't miss that. God says, as sure as I am God, just as much as I exist as God. Just as who I am, everything about me, I want you to know that this is true. That I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now that's very important in what I believe. What that means to me is that God wants nobody to die and go to hell. That's what it says. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But he just spent the verses ahead of us telling us that what? What? If you reject forgiveness, if you do not turn from your iniquities, you will what? You'll perish. You'll perish. You'll perish. But then he says, now before you start to think that this is something I want for them, it's not. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now that would be enough to convince me right there, okay? But it's like God goes on and tells him, now don't miss this point. Alright? I want to reaffirm this to you. But, that the wicked turn from his way and live. You say, okay. He said he didn't want them to die. And he tells us what he wants them to do. Just as much as he is God, this is what he wants. You say, well, that's an overwhelming support, isn't it? But don't miss this. He goes on and adds to it. Turn! Turn! Turn from your evil ways. Then he says, Now I'm telling you what to do again and again. And if you're a parent or you've ever dealt with people, if you repeat something, it is because it is what? It is important. And you need to listen. And what he says is, Just as I am God, I do not take the pleasure of people dying and go to hell. What I want is for them to turn. 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 And what? And live. And live. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Now, I said all of that. Because when we go through verses 15 and 16 and we look at the judgment of God. We have to be reminded that this is a choice they made. They are the ones that hardened their heart. They are the ones that refuse the 144,000 evangelists. They are the ones that refuse the two angels flying in the heavens preaching the gospel. They are the ones who have refused the two witnesses, if you remember, who couldn't be killed. The 144,000 evangelists can't be killed. But yet they have willfully made a choice... To reject Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can read it on your own time. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. right, It says because they hardened their heart. Then God sent them a strong delusion. And so when you read chapters 15 and 16. And we see the plagues. And we see the judgment. And we say all of this heartbreak. Remember. That God told them to what? Turn. And live. There's no other way around it. And so when this happens. I just want to remind you. That that is the case. Never lose fact of the mercy of God. That his mercy endureth. That they are new every morning. Because when we jump into chapter 15. We're getting ready to pray. And any questions. It was a long introduction, but it's a short message. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, revelation is difficult. It's challenging. And only you can give us clarity, understanding, and the blessings that come from it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that in Jesus' name. All right, verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. Then... Then, so this has happened next, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the last seven plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark And over the number of His name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now let's just stop right there for just a moment. So so this is the third time in the book of Revelation that John is able to see a sign from heaven. Alright? This vision from God in the heavenly places. Okay? and seven angels. Now this is important because angels represent two different things in the Word of God. For the wicked, they bring judgment. You can think of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can think of the different times the angels of the Lord showed up to fight for Israel. But on the flip side, if you're a child of God, if you belong to God, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Now, we have to be very careful when you talk about angels because there is so much craziness involved. Alright? But the Bible clearly teaches that while the presence of God is everywhere, while the Spirit of God is within you, that the multitude of heavenly angels are sent by God to do what? What? I'm not making this up. It's right there. Ministering. Serving. Now, I don't believe it's like the the guardian angel that sits on your shoulder, but the Lord works and moves through His Spirit, through His power, and through His ministering spirits. So on one hand, we see these seven angels who have the judgment of God. But on the flip side, if you're a child of God... You need to know that God is at work around you. He is at work in you. He is at work through you. You say, Jake, how does this all work? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I trust that God does. Right? And I trust that when it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews 1 is talking about the fact that Jesus is the only one who sits on the throne. He is not an angel, right? He is God. And at the very end of that section, that's when he says angels are not to be worshipped. Angels do not provide salvation. Our angels are just servants that God uses to minister to who? Who will inherit salvation? The saints, the children of God. And so these two extremes, angels can be either ministering spirits or they can be elements of God's judgment on the lost. Questions? All right. For in them the wrath of God is complete. Now, I want to read you something about this word for complete. Because it's very, very important in our view of how the book of Revelation plays out. Complete is a translation of the aortist passive indicate of tele, meaning to bring to conclusion. Now that's very important. If you believe the book of Revelation is literal, it's going to happen in a seven year period, and these last judgments are meant to bring it to what? Completion. What to completion? The judgment of God, the seven year period. It's not figurative, it's not imaginative, it's literal. This emphasizes the fact that the wrath of God has now been brought to conclusion. The idea of this word gives the impression that it is sequence, sequential in nature. That this is the last event that God is going to do in the wrath of the world. Indeed, the word for wrath in this text is fury. Where one might have expected to find org, where God is dealing with evil. Instead, this word means unmitigated fury in response to the injustice in the world that is going to happen in chapter 16. So, even the wording that is used is meant to bring your mind in mind, if you're reading this in the first century in the original language, that this is the end of the end. This is the last thing that's going to happen before what? Jesus returns and destroys his enemies. This is this last bit of time where the judgment of God falls. And I want to see this to you because in the Old Testament, in the book of Zephaniah, if you flip over, listen to what God says is a promise of Israel's future. Now, it's important to know something. If God makes a statement to Israel and you read about it and you see it fulfilled, that's what it means. But if you read a promise that God made to Israel and it hasn't been fulfilled, there's only two options. God is even going to fulfill it at some point in the future. Alright? Or God is a liar. Make sense? If God makes a promise and He doesn't fulfill it in the future, meaning He doesn't fulfill it at all, He is a what? And God is not a liar. We can all establish that, right? Because if you believe that God is a liar, what we're teaching doesn't matter. I believe that when God makes a promise, He keeps it. Period. Period. Amen. We're on the same page. Alright. So let's listen to what God told Zephaniah. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. Until the day I rise up for plunder, my determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour out my indignation, all my fierce anger... All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. God says there's going to come a day when I'm going to bring every nation of the world to your doorstep. His his people, his nation. And on that day, when the world congregates around Israel, he's going to do what? He's going to devour them. That has not happened. Israel is surrounded by enemies. God has not devoured them. But there is coming a day when what? He promised that he would. And if he doesn't, he is a. Now I know you're making, you're looking at me like that's a point that you understand, but I don't want you to miss that. It's that significant. And what do we read, if you want to flip over in your Bible with me, in. In the book of Revelation, chapter 18, chapter 19, right? The, the armies of the world do what? They come to Israel, they come to Jerusalem. And you can read in verse 19 of chapter 19. All right? It's just what the Bible says. And I saw the beast. The kings of the earth and their armies. The world has gathered where? At Jerusalem. Gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence for which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. The Bible tells us that God is a consuming fire. What we see here in Zephaniah is fulfilled in Revelation chapter 19. Don't miss that. Because look what it goes on to say in verse 9. Because you're thinking, man, that's brutal. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language. We know that language happened at what? The Tower of Babel that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. The Jews are coming home to worship God. Those who were far from God are coming to worship Him. Now don't lose lose me here because it's going to all come together. Shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgressed against me. For then I will take away from you your midst those who rejoice in your pride. And you shall no longer be haughty in my mountain. Holy mountain. He says, when you come to worship me after this happens, it's not going to be like before. You're not bringing your sinful, wicked, awful stuff that you've always brought in the Old Testament, right? They get in judgment, they come back to God, they fall into judgment, they come back to God, they fall into judgment, they come back to God. Don't miss in verse 12. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the Lord, in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down and no one shall make them afraid. Now just for a moment, has that ever happened in Israel? Can Israel claim to be perfect? Well, no, the Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it could not have been fulfilled in any time in human history up until this point. Is that an agreeable statement, right? So then it has to be fulfilled when? In the future. (laughs) I know you're looking at me wrong, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. And it's just so interesting that after chapter 19 in the book of Revelation, we come to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 1. These aren't in your notes. You've got to bring your Bible. That's what I tell you. What is going to happen for the nation of Israel, for the child of God who's been saved? In verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the Word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now. Don't miss this. This is what he's talking about. What Zephaniah is talking about is the millennial kingdom. People say, "Well, millennial kingdom's only talked about one time in chapter 20. You can't believe it." No. It's talked about throughout the entire Old Testament when Israel finally becomes the Israel God wants them to be. Zephaniah says worldwide destruction and at a time of what a relationship with God is supposed to look like. Zephaniah is Revelation 20. Now, I say all of that because of this. As we continue down through this chapter, we have to be reminded that God is not doing this uh, haphazardly or by accident. There's a purpose in mind, right? To make all things new. Questions, thoughts, concerns. Alright. Alright, verse two of where we're at, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fires, and those who have the victory over the beast. So he looks up and he sees something that looks like a sea of glass. Alright, it's not a sea. There is no sea in the new heavens and the new earth. There is the river of Life, but it's like a seed. John is trying to describe to us what he is seeing in the best terminology that he can. And this is really important because of what he sees. He sees all of the people who have died, who have suffered for their faith, and who have made it to heaven during the tribulation period. And they're worshiping him. They're worshiping him because of who he is. Now, this is important. If the tribulation period doesn't really happen and people are not killed for their faith, who is he talking about? Makes no sense. He literally says, What? Who have victory over the beast, a real enemy, over his image, and over his what? And that mark is 666. And so they are worshiping God. Now, this is important. They cannot worship him. If he's not saved them. He cannot save them if there is not an enemy to persecute them. If there's not a tribulation to persecute them, then all of the worship that God is going to get doesn't happen. And what is the chief end of man? To worship God. To worship who he is. And so what we see here is this this cycle that says these things have to happen in this order To accomplish the purpose of God. And so what are they singing? That is the key. Well, there is a verse I'll read for you in Ezekiel chapter 1. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creature was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. Ezekiel had a vision of heaven and what it was like and what God was. You can read all of that in chapter 1. And so when people say, well, Revelation is just figurative. It's it's not real. It's just to be interpreted loosely. Well, then why did Ezekiel see it? And if you want another reference, go to Exodus chapter 24. Moses saw it. The same thing. And so it's not just figurative. It's not just... Imaginatory, God is trying to give us hope that every detail is focused on. God has everything under control. And so let's listen to this song really quick. And you can read this almost exact same song in Exodus chapter 15 on your own time. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. So it just gives God... Glory for who He is. Okay. Any questions about the song? You can read that, study that. It's just all the goodness of God. All right. Last few verses. Verses fifteen through or five through eight. It says the rest of the chapter. After these things, so He is trying to remind you that this just happened, and now this is happening. Just like if I was to tell you I had a piece of the cinnamon, whatever. And after Bible study, I'm going to have another one. It's it's meant to tell you that these things are happening one after another, after another, after another. And that is to teach us from the word of God that this is happening in that order. So when people say, well, Revelation can't be literal, it can't be in order, they are just ignoring all of the things that is laid out in this book. And so it says after these things I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened and out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chest girded with golden bands. Now this is all, you can look in the Old Testament and find about the purple and the gold and and you can just make yourself so happy on your own time. Um, In verse 7, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Don't miss this. He's going back to the character of God to reaffirm its truthfulness. This is going to happen just like God has always existed and He always will. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, there's just a couple things. These bowls that they are carrying in the original language, they're not great big vases. They would be something that would have been very shallow and very wide. And the reason you would want something very shallow and very wide is so that you could dump it quickly. Right? You wouldn't have to tip it over like a uh, uh, gas can. Let it flow out, flow out, flow out. No. Right? Like a pan, just dump it out. And so he's saying here, these angels are coming quickly. They're coming one after another. And the judgment is coming quickly. And this is important because if you notice there, at the end of verse 8 it says, we're completed. Now don't miss that. No one could worship in the presence of the Lord until this is completed. Well, why? Because sin is still being dealt with. Right? The judgment has not been poured out. All of this happens on a timeline because once God pours out these judgments... And the world hates God totally and completely and with all that they are, Jesus comes back. And then that's when we can truly worship Him. Satan will be bound. The false prophet is thrown into the lake of fire. The Antichrist is thrown into the... Lake of fire. And so we can finally worship Him. Right? Those of us who have already been to heaven, have got our resurrected body, when Jesus comes back to destroy His enemies, we are coming with Him. Right? Not to fight, not to do all of those things, but to rule and reign with Him. Okay? And so, but why is this important? Has we ever seen anything like this before in the Old Testament about the smoke? and glory of God. I'm so glad that you asked. I have wanted to teach this for weeks. (laughs) I'm sorry. Be a little facetious. I'm sorry. Exodus chapter 40, when the tabernacle was being completed, not the temple, but the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 40, starting in verse 33, and he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. He did what? Finish. Finished it. It was completed. All right. Okay. Sorry. Let's get excited. We win, folks. All right? Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. Cloud can be smoke. All right? It can be the presence. It can be the power of God. And the glory Of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now go back to Revelation chapter 15, verse 8. What does it say? The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. It's the same pattern. He did it when the tabernacle was finished. And so in verse 35, it goes on and says, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night. And in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so what? Jesus is not coming back until God's wrath and judgment has finally done what it was intended to do. And when the power and glory of God falls even in His judgment, then what? Then Jesus can come. He cannot come until God has poured out His wrath on this sinful world. That's why I believe that Jesus is literally coming back. That we are coming back with Him. We've already been raptured out with Him. You say, well, Jake, that's just one example. I need something else. I want to give it to you, All right, The temple, right? God says to David, right? You've got a house. David says, I'll build you a temple. God says, no, you won't. You're a man with too much blood on your hands. You can't build me a temple, but you can get all the stuff ready and your son can build me the temple. And so in 1 Kings chapter 8, the temple has been built. It has been completed. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke... The Lord said He would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Now, Solomon said forever. Alright, I don't miss that. Because we know that God has always intended to live within us. But what we see in the millennial kingdom is not only does the Spirit of God live within us, but Christ lives among us. We reign with Him if you read in Revelation chapter 20. And then we see after the rebellion, and we'll talk about all that kind of stuff, and the great white throne. In chapter 21 of Revelation, starting in verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I saw John saw the holy city of New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. And they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And then we get that wonderful promise. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I want to read the rest of this, so just please bear with me and and I'm done. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold. Now who is sitting on the throne? The same one who we've just been looking at in Revelation chapter 15. I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now don't miss that. God, again, is promising truth on Himself. Right? It's the highest guarantee you can have. Right? I pinky promise. That don't cut it. Right? I swear. That doesn't cut it. You shouldn't swear, by the way. That was says, Right? I give you My Word. doesn't cut it. God says, this is true because of Me. Alright? I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. Now, I don't know if you understand that statement or not, but I don't. I cannot imagine all things when God is the one creating all things. How good that's going to be. How amazing that's going to be. We look at the things that won't be there, right? No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. But then he says, not only is that not going to be there, you're going to inherit all things. That's like your parent saying you're not going to get a spanking, but you're going to get every reward we can give you. But your parent is God who can create all things and all good gifts come from Him. And I will be His God and He shall be my Son. Now if we stopped right there, it would be all perfect, right? But He doesn't stop there. Because even though He has told us of the promise, the beauty, the perfection, the wonderfulness of it, He gives one more opportunity Not for people who are alive at this time because they're not alive. Right? The enemies of God have already been destroyed. They're already in the lake of fire. Why would He put this here? Those who have have rebelled are dead. Right? Jesus has made all things new. Why would He add this? For whoever is reading it today. Whoever's reading it during the tribulation period. It's just like Ezekiel said, God is saying, turn and live. It's a reassurance to me that even though all this death, even though all this destruction, even through all this hope, God says, but don't forget, I want to remind you one more time of who gets to come here. Of what you can do to avoid missing this. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. He says it's going to be perfect. It's going to be amazing. You're going to inherit all things. But don't forget, you can miss it. You can miss it. By rejecting the love and mercy and forgiveness of God and pursuing your own sinful desires. That that blows my mind. Because why? There's no one else going to be reading it at this point that's not already saved when this happens. But it's for us, it's a reminder to the church that we are to be witnessing, we are to be sharing the gospel that sin has consequences even though God is merciful and gracious and long-suffering. Don't forget that. Because next two weeks, whenever we meet together, three weeks from now, alright? Because next week is um, Thanksgiving, and the week after that we'll be at the fairgrounds praying For one starry night. So the week after that. When you've had all these weeks to study. And read and ask questions. And pick apart my teaching. When we come back together. It's all about the judgment of God. But don't forget. That God's judgment. Has always been preceded. By his mercy. God is not willing. That any. Should perish. Never forget it. We serve a loving, merciful God. I am done. Ten minutes early. Boom! Whew. I tried really, really hard. Questions? Uh, yes? When said he'll wipe away all tears, do you think our ministry would be erased in heaven if everything was bad that Bill, you had to ask one of those tough questions, right? <laughs> He either has to erase the fact that there are loved ones in our life that have not made it to heaven or two, he has to make it in such a way that we can remember but not, it not cost tears but I, 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 I'm like you, I think he almost has to wipe the memories he has to yeah. Yeah. One of the, you know, there's only a couple of things that, man, that a man made from heaven. Of course, the scar of Jesus. And God says he bottles up the fear of the mm-hmm. Amen. And that's precious to me. Amen. So a of I think that Amen. That Amen. That's why he teaches when I'm God, right there. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. You're absolutely right. Thank you, Bill. Wonderful.